Well, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome home. And I want to say welcome to everybody. Welcome home. Welcome home is the name of the series that we're in right now. And it's also something that I hope you sense to be very true here. I hope that you feel welcome and at home, whether you're at one of the campuses or you're watching online. You know, home is the kind of place where, where you're the most comfortable where you can really be yourself. It's the kind of place where you can unwind and, and know that you're loved. It's the kind of place where you can kick your shoes off and, and put your feet up. And I don't know what home is like for you. I'm sure home looks a little bit different for all of us. But I do know this, that we all have a longing for home that is right. A place that is filled with peace where love abounds. And we're talking in this series about the deep longings of our life, the deep longings of our hearts, and the ways that we come to recognize and experience those God-given longings, those God-given dream, God dreams, the awakenings that happen in our pursuit of home. But before we go any further, I think we need to address the elephant in the room, right? <laughs> yeah, and I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, Kirk, that's not an elephant, that's a pig. And I know, I know, I know this is a pig. You know, I know enough to know that, you know, I probably would have had a harder time finding an elephant to join me on stage for this message. Hey, speaking of finding elephants, you know why it's so hard and why you never find an elephant hiding in a tree? Because they're so good at it. <laughs> okay, yeah. You know, I knew this week that if I was able to do something special and, and I was able to like, you know, do something creative a little bit different that I could really like drive the point home and, and, and maybe the next few minutes wouldn't be such a bore. Now, I know, I know that's a bad one, but hey, I've got a pig on stage with me, so I have to ham it up a little bit this, this week, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have Miss Bacon here with me, and that's her name. This is Miss Bacon. I'd like for you to meet Miss Bacon. Oh, yeah, you heard me talking about you. This is Miss Bacon, and, uh, you know, she's joining me today because we're learning about these deep longings that we have for home from a story in the Bible about a father and his two sons. Uh, sometimes this story is called the story of the prodigal son. I like to call this story the story of the lost son. And guess what? There's pigs in the story. And, and we'll get to that really soon. Last week, Ben helped us see how, how this story about a father and his sons helps us see that we all have some longings. We all have longings. We have this inner longing to find our way back to God. And we have these longings for purpose, for love, and for meaning. And today we're going to look at another longing that when we're honest, I'm sure we've all experienced. And it's the longing to start over. The longing to start over. It develops as a result of trying to satisfy those longings we talked about last week for purpose and love and meaning. When we try to satisfy those longings on our own. We'll hear about how the younger son in this story was awakened to regret. Regret. How he wished that he could start over. And I, I wonder if you know what that's like. I bet you do. 
Because I sure know what it's like. You know, I've had that sinking feeling in my stomach more times than I'm proud of because of things that I've done. Words that I've said. Things that I didn't say that I should have said. Are there words that that you've spoken in anger that you wish you could take back? Me too. Me too. Hey, maybe you've heard people say things like this. Like, I don't have any regrets. Have you ever heard somebody say that? No regrets, right? It's a real popular thing to say. No regrets. Hey, you remember this commercial from a few years ago? Check this out. Sorry. Sorry. Regrets. Sorry, I was eating a Milky Way. <laughs> yeah, no regrets. No regrets. I mean, is it really possible for us to live a life with no regrets? I mean, no regrets. You know what? I want to live a life like that. I do. I want to live a life where, where I don't second guess every decision. You know, I might second guess the decision to sit with a pig during this message. But, you know, I want to live a life that doesn't second guess decisions, where there's nothing that keeps me up at night, where I'm not trying to hide anything. And it's true. It's true. I am who I am today. And you are who you are today, in part because of the mistakes that we've made. And yes, we learn from those mistakes. Yes, we learn from them. But I know this, that if I could go back and I could do it all over again without all the pain, without the shame, without the guilt, you know that I would. And I think you would too. So do you really have no regrets? You know, I'm far from perfect. I actually don't know anybody that's, that's even remotely close, but you know who my favorite people are to be around? It's the people who are honest about who they are. And it's the people who are honest about the fact that, that they aren't perfect. I've got a laundry list of regrets. You know, some of them are some times where I've caused pain in the lives of the people around me. I've done that. And some of them are just embarrassing. Like the time I got pulled over last year. Twice, on the same street as my house, in the same week. Okay, one time I got pulled over for speeding and the other time for not wearing my seatbelt. And, and I know what that feeling of regret is. I felt it as I sat there and I waited for the police officer to walk up to my window because I knew that I'd done something wrong. I'd done something wrong and it cost me some money. Some regrets cost us more than just a little bit of money. Sometimes it's hard to unsay some words. Some of the regrets we have come with consequences and they bring with them very real pain. Some lead to broken relationships, broken hearts, broken homes, broken lives. In this story of the lost son, there's, there's three important, we're going to call them pods that we want to look at today. And we're calling them pods because in the story, that's what they call the food the pigs are eating. So uh, today we're going to call our main points 
pods. So we want to explore in the next few minutes his longing to start over, the son's longing to start over, and his longing for home. And as we look at these pods, I hope you'll examine your own life and you'll be honest about where you really are. Do you really have no regrets? The first pod is this, problems. Problems. Everybody's got them, right? Everybody's got problems. So Luke 15 starts like this. We're going to take a look at the story of the lost son. It says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The lost son The lost son had collected his inheritance early and he went and he lived like he didn't have a father. I mean, he was acting as if his father was dead already. Now, the audience that would have heard this story from the mouth of Jesus the first time, they were Jewish. And and they would have known the Ten Commandments and they would have thought of that commandment that says, honor your father and mother. Does it sound like this son's honoring his father? No, no, it doesn't. His eyes are only fixed on indulgence. You know, he seeks pleasure above else, all else, and he loses touch with reality, and he runs out of money. So he's broke, and this is a problem that he's brought on himself. He, he can't really blame anybody else for it, and it's not an uncommon problem. You know, I'm many, I know many who will hear this message, know what it's like to open that app for the bank account to see zeros. To have a credit card declined. To have money and then to lose it. Maybe the problems that you've brought on on yourself aren't financial ones, but I know this. We all have problems. We all sin. In the book of Romans, it says this in chapter 3, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sin brings problems. It does. Sin brings problems. In Romans, a little later on, it says the wages of sin is death. Sin, while it may be fun or fulfilling in the moment, will leave you empty and it has consequences. I've heard this said, that that sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. But then there's another problem that compounds this situation I mean, on top of running out of money, there's a famine in the land. Now, this isn't something he could have predicted, and it certainly wasn't something he could control. It's just one of those things that happens in life. You know, some of the problems that I've had in my life are are because of things that I've done wrong. I can admit that. And some of the problems in my life are because of the way that I've reacted to difficult circumstances. We all know what it's like to have things happen to us that are out of our control. We know. We know. We know what it's like to have things happen that we never would have predicted that changed the storyline of our lives. You know, we all lost something in this last year. 
For some, it's a loved one. For others, it's a job. And for many, it's a sense of security. Uh, Ben asked us a great question last week. And it was this, are there ways that God wants to use COVID to draw you back to him? Are there ways that God wants to use COVID to draw you back to him? Hey, don't let this last year become a reason for you to be angry at God. So this son finds employment in the most humiliating place that a Jewish boy could, feeding pigs. And pigs are detestable for Jewish people. They can't even touch him. So he's hungry. He's so hungry. He's desperate that he looks at the food the pigs are eating. And he says, I'll have what they're having. You know, one of my favorite snacks is a nice, crunchy, sweet apple. And you know what? I found out this week, like this one right here. And I found out this week that uh, Miss Bacon here, Miss Bacon, is a big fan of apples too. So, hey, Miss Bacon, you want an apple slice? You're going to sleep on me right now? Okay, I'm just, oh, here you are. Yeah, there. She likes apples too. Okay, so Miss Bacon likes apples too. And you know, we've got something in common. We both love apples here. I'll put this one over here for you, right there. There you go. So we both love apples. And actually this week we became pen pals. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, But I can guess this, that whatever, whatever the pigs were eating in this story, it wasn't something nice like crunchy, sweet apples. Whatever those pods were in the middle of a famine, it probably wasn't very appetizing. And that's what he wanted to fill his belly with. Hey, I grew up in Illinois and uh, there's a lot of farms around. And I can remember driving on a, on a hot summer day down the road with the windows down and you would come across a farm where there were pigs and there would be an aroma that would arise. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I actually just learned today it's not from the pigs. It's just the slop that's on the farm. But, but there is an aroma. And, and if you ask those farmers what it smells like to describe that smell, you know what they'll say? They'll say, smells like money. Yeah, you know, uh, and, and it may smell like money, but I know this, that it's not a very appetizing smell. Miss Bacon, I'm sorry. I, I'm not trying to make fun of your family. I know, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She gets a little sensitive when I talk about that, so we're going to move on. Okay, hey, listen, your place of desperation, your place of desperation may not be in a literal pig pen longing for the food that the animals are eating. Uh, maybe your pig pen looks, looks a little different. Maybe your pig pen looks like a lonely moment with some pills in your hand. Or maybe your pig pen is sitting in your car in the driveway, too embarrassed to go inside and face your family. Or, or maybe that pig pen is the shame that you f- feel after indulging your lust in front of a computer screen. Or maybe it's at a funeral of someone that you love. So what's your pig pen? I know you've been there. I've been there too. Hey, I wanna hear a little more of the stories of some of our friends from right here at Mountain, some of the stories we started to hear last week. Money was not accessible, not because it was a poor town. It was more because of the poor choices that my dad did at that point. He tried to kill us. Since I graduated high school and while 
people were dying in my life and getting sick. I wanted to know why I was here, you know, and I, I figured that by looking into religion and spirituality, like I might be able to figure that out. So while I was trying to prove myself, I, at the young age of 19, I decided to move to the United States. I just considered myself spiritual. I was into Buddhism heavily and I, I spent a lot of time in meditation and practicing spiritual things that would be considered like the New Age movement. I was like into philosophy heavily. In that time, I thought just from reading certain parts of the Bible that Christianity was way too simplistic. I was going through some things and I had just quit my job because I didn't like it and I just kind of was doing nothing with my life essentially except for just meditating and yeah, being a hippie basically. But at that point, my main focus was I got to prove myself to everyone around me, to include my dad, that I was worthy that I could do things. So not only I finished my high school in two years, I went straight to college and I finished my degree with a major and a minor in four years. I skipped the master's degree and I went for a doctorate degree. So I went after degrees and after titles thinking that was gonna give me the value that I was looking for. But all of this was an empty, it led me to an empty place. I had all the titles. I finished first. I, I made a lot of money and still it was empty. When I was into this spiritual immersion, my aunt died of cancer. I was really close to her. And then my grandmother was in the hospital. My grandmother ended up passing away. And um, this death started to weigh on me. I. I kind of didn't think about Christianity for a while. I was doing a fine job playing Christian. I will go to church on Sunday, and at times I still had the mark of the club I went the night before. And it felt wrong, but I didn't know anything else. In a very interesting way, Luis and I get reunited after being away from each other since high school. and. It's when things got real. But when my grandmother died, this guy reached out to me. And he reached out to me on Twitter. On Twitter, I was always like posting spiritual things and mocking Christianity even. He was, he was really nice, like he was cool. Like I could really talk to him, he was a nice guy. He was like, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Like Jesus is the only way to God. I, I like politely told him, yeah, I don't believe that, you know, but he just, he didn't give up. He just kept messaging me, keeping the conversation going. He even invited me to like a group of people that were into what I was into, the spirituality that I was into that came to Jesus. So he invited me to this group on GroupMe, like everybody was like sharing their story and stuff. And the things that I was experiencing spiritually, it was, similar to their testimony. So I just started reading the Bible again, a little bit more than I was before. Like now, my heart had been chipped away a little bit to where I just started really reading the Bible a lot. So when Luis and I were having conversations of, uh, are we gonna do this thing for real? Are we getting married? Or 
It was a point in my life where I realized, wait, I thought I was walking with God all this time. And he was like, he was walking with me for sure. I was the one not walking with him. I was halfway in. It just makes me realize there's more to what I thought uh, was walking with the Lord. Through reading God's word regularly, I started to feel convicted, like maybe, maybe Christianity is the way. You know, maybe it is the one truth. Like maybe Jesus is the one truth. And that kind of scared me. And I was like, I just started like running from God. Just like our friends in this video and like the son in the story, when you find yourself in the pig pen, you've got to make some decisions. Let's, let's hear what the story goes on to say in scripture. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father. I've sinned against heaven I'll say to my father, I'll go out to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So our second pod is this. He illuminated his situation. He was in that pig pen and somehow the lights came on. He came to his senses. I imagine that moment being something like, like in a cartoon, like he's sitting there in the pig pen and his head's hanging down low with regret and he's replaying the conversations with his father over and over in his mind and, and his head is filled with the woulda, coulda, shouldas and then all of a sudden a light bulb appears above his head and you know what happens in a cartoon? It goes right? The lights come on. It was a moment of illumination. And it means that, that he admits that there's a problem. And then he starts to look for a solution. Hey, you know what a lot of people do when they find themselves in a pig pen? They live in denial. They live in denial. Sigmund Freud said this about denial. Denial is a defense mechanism in which a person is faced with a fact that's too uncomfortable to accept and therefore rejects it, despite overwhelming evidences. You know, denial, it, it shows up in people's lives in different ways. One way is called simple denial. Simple denial, and it's just that. Simply denying the reality of something altogether. Like, like what pig pen? I, I don't know. I don't see a pig pen. I'm fine. Everything is fine. Everybody else sees it, but you don't see it. It's just simple denial. Have you ever lied and said, I'm fine, when really you weren't? When really you were broken on the inside and it showed on the outside and you tried to cover it up and, and you tried to cover it up with a smile and say, I'm fine. Another way that denial shows up is, is called minimization. 
It's when you acknowledge that a situation is real and, and it is a problem, but, but you deny its seriousness. Like when that little check engine light shows up on the dashboard of your car and you think, oh, it probably isn't a big deal. I'll get to it when I get to it. You know what? That happened to me today. I dropped my car off on the way here because the check engine light came on. I know all about this one. And I also know what happens when you leave that light on too long. I've made that mistake. Is the check engine light on the dashboard of your life illuminated? Is it? I mean, do you have insights right now into the problems of your life, but you're too scared or, or you're too proud to let the lights get turned on into those, those dark places? Makes me think about somebody that I care about. Somebody that's really close to my family who just can't put the bottle down. And it could cost him, his family, his job, everything. And he knows that there's a problem, but he looks around and he says, you know what, I'm getting by in the pig pen. It's not as bad as it looks. And the third way that we experience denial is called projection. And it's when you admit the seriousness or the reality of an unpleasant fact, but you deny responsibility. It's not my fault that I'm in a pig pen. I mean, it's the pig's fault that there's such a big mess in here, even though this is all my dirty laundry laying around here. You know, maybe the son in the story would say things like this. Like, it's not my fault that I'm out here feeding the pigs. I mean, if my dad wouldn't have given me all that money in the first place, it's probably his fault. Or, or if the economy hadn't crashed, or if the famine never happened. And maybe some of us say things like, well, if COVID never happened, and we try to paint a picture that everyone else is to blame. Everyone else is to blame. Everyone else is at fault. And we don't do anything because we're convinced. We're convinced it's not our responsibility. So, we sit in the pig pen and we actually feel kind of self-righteous about it. Hey, I hope we can all find ways to illuminate our situations, to shed some light on the dark places we find ourselves in, to come to our senses. You know, the first thing that happens when you come to your senses is this, you start telling the truth. Last week, I got to spend some time at Celebrate Recovery at Mountain. And while I was there, I heard, I heard this really great line, and they said this, that there are two types of people. There are those who are in recovery and those who are in denial. And it's true, the recovery that you might be in right now, it might not be from a substance addiction, but it is from a sin addiction. And when you start telling the truth, when you start telling the truth, admitting that you're not all right, it leads to repentance. Brennan Manning tells this story about a man named Max who he met in a rehab center for chemically addicted men. According to all worldly standards, Max had everything. I mean, he was rich. He had a wife and five kids. He was married with uh, five kids. He, he owned his own business. He did really well. He seemed like a really put together guy. But despite all of that, he was in and out of rehab for years. I mean, he was just in a cycle of relapse after relapse. And one day, the counselor in a group session started asking Max about how much he drank. 
So Max did what many would do, and he used that minimization denial technique, saying that his drinking was normal, it wasn't a problem. He detailed his daily drinking routine and and offered details about how his family would often join him. But seeing through the holes in the narrative, the the counselor gets on the phone and, and calls the owner of a local tavern that Max would frequent. He introduced himself as Max's counselor and said, uh, I'm here with Max, and with Max's family's permission, I'd I'd like to ask you a few questions. Uh, I'm researching Max's drinking history. The owner replied, oh, Max, he's a heck of a guy. Comes in here every day after work, has five or six drinks, buys rounds for everybody. Everybody loves him. Max erupts with anger hearing this, and and he questions the integrity and the ancestry of the owner, but then he gains his composure, and he says, oh, you know, even Jesus got mad sometimes. The counselor asks Max, has your drinking ever affected your children? And Max said, well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And he goes on to to detail the many athletic and academic achievements of his four sons, And the counselor then presses deeper and says, give us an example of a time that you've been unkind to one of your children. Max sits in silence for a moment and then answers, well, I was a little thoughtless with my daughter on Christmas Eve. I I don't really remember what happened, but I just get this, this heavy feeling when I think about it. When pressed for details, Max gets angry again. and He says, I told you, I don't remember what happened. I'm sure it wasn't that bad. So the counselor picks up the phone and this time he calls Max's wife and he says, ma'am, your husband just told us that he was unkind to your daughter on Christmas Eve. Could you give me the details? And she responded, it seems like it happened just yesterday. Our nine-year-old daughter wanted a new pair of shoes for Christmas, so, so Max took her to the store, and they bought the best pair they could find. She was so excited. She kissed her dad on the cheek and said, you're the best dad in the world, and, and Max was so proud. He decided to, to stop in at the bar on the way home to celebrate. It was 12 degrees outside, so he left the car running, and and locked the doors, telling our daughter he would be back after one drink. Well, he he ran into some old friends and lost track of time. And several hours later, well after midnight, he came out to find the car with the engine dead, the heat turned off. Our daughter was so badly frostbitten, they had to amputate her first finger and her thumb, and she'll be deaf the rest of her life. Max begins to sob, and he falls out of his chair, and the counselor yells at him, Max, get out, get out. This is a rehab for addicts, not for liars. And Max begs to be allowed to stay, knowing that he needed help. He opened up about all the guilt and the shame that he felt, and for the first time in his life, he was honest. He was honest about the problems that he had with himself and with others, and, and, and he knew he needed help. It's like that light bulb in his life 
finally turned on and he came to his senses. Manning shares that Max goes on to undergo the most striking personality change that he's ever witnessed. He became the most open, sincere, vulnerable, and caring person in the group. Found a real relationship, a real personal relationship with God. Got sober and stayed sober for the first time in his life. Max had a moment of coming to his senses. And it was when he was honest with himself and honest with others, honest with God, and it led him to repentance. He stopped living in denial. He started living in recovery. He had that longing to start over. That word repent, it means to turn around. It gets used in the Bible a lot. And in scripture, in Greek, the word was metanoia. And if you break that apart, the noia part of the word means mind. And the meta part means to change. So to change your mind, to put your focus not on the problems, not on the pig pen, but to, to set your sights on, on home. And it will be an illuminating experience when you repent. When you repent, when you change your mind, when you turn around, it's time for the third pod. And you know what the third pod is? It's this, get up and go home. Get up and go home. Uh, the, next, the next verse in the story of the lost son says this, so he got up, he got up and he went to his father. Hey, hey look at those three pods. You see those three pods listed together on there? The first one, problems, problems. Everybody's got them, right? And the second one's this, illuminate your situation. Come to your senses. And the third one's this, get up and go home. And when it's time to get up and go home, it's time to leave the pig behind. You're taking steps away from your problems and you're taking steps towards repentance. You're walking away from your sin and you're walking towards the life that God is calling you, calling you to. It's time to take those steps away from the pig pen. And I know lots of folks will say things like, man, you don't know how messed up my life is. I, I mean, I've sinned so much. Can I, can I really start over? Can my sins really be forgiven? And the good news is this. Yes, you can start over. Your sins can be forgiven. And all you have to do is take that first step out of the pig pen. And I know that first step, it's a hard one. It's a hard one. It's a challenge to take that first step. And that first step towards Jesus, it has a name. It's called faith. And there might be some people back in the pig pen and they might say about you, oh, he's a heck of a guy or she's a heck of a gal. Where are you going? Where, where, where are you leaving us here? But you're no longer focused on your problems you're focused on home. You've set your sights on what God is doing in your life. You're being honest. You're, you're able to say, no, I'm not fine, but you know where help is and you're heading home. Philippians 3.13 says this, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead. Repentance puts us on a new path and it acknowledges that what I had and where I was, it was broken and it's not working. Isaiah 43 offers this picture of salvation and hope that would come through Jesus. And it says this, 
forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. And I've heard this said that God rarely puts something new in your life until you can let go of what is old and broken. So what do you need to let go of? What do you need to let go of? Do you really have no regrets? Can you let go of all the hurt in your life? You know, taking those first steps home, it'll take a lot and it will make a lot of that hurt move towards healing. You know, taking those steps home will be steps towards healing. That verse that we heard earlier, it says this, that the wages of sin is death. You remember that out of Romans? It goes on to say this, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that eternal life with God, that is home. And I hope that today we all take those steps towards home. We're going to say this prayer every week. We said it last week. Every week in this series, we're going to say this prayer. And I want to invite you to say these words with me. It's very simple. God, if you're there, make yourself real to me. Let's say that again together. God, if you're there, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the willingness to turn toward you for help. I want to pray for all of us right now. God, help us to have the courage to take those steps out of the pig pen, to take those steps towards home. God, guide our steps. Help us to have faith. God, lead us home. And God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. In Jesus' name, amen.